Hey, this is Chris. Before we get to the show, let me tell you a little bit about Anchor. Anchor is our way of we record podcasts. Fantastic. Let me tell you why. It's easy. It's free. There are creation tools that we can record and edit your podcast right from your phone and your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on such um, providers as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need in a podcast and so much more. Check out Anchor, and you can find it all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Anchor, it's a fantastic way of creating your first podcast and making it work. All right, welcome here to the Ohioan. It is Tuesday, May 25th. Uh, Craig is off this morning, appears, but um, we got Brandon with me. Brandon, how are you? Uh, I'm doing good, thanks. Very good. Um, you know, it was interesting. Um, before we started, I saw yesterday uh, they came out with the official odds for the Vaximilian lottery. Uh, Brandon, it's a 1 in 2.7 million chance, which obviously is still very low, but it seems to be a higher chance than we originally thought. Do you feel a little bit more confident about Wednesday night? Yeah, I'm going to win. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I had a talk with Tyler Buchanan. We talked to him about the vaccine win yesterday, and we promised we'd be one of the first interviews if either one of us win. Are you going to make that promise to us, too, or are you going to big-time us? Well, wait, wait, what was his promise? I missed that. <laughs> well, we were saying, hey, if we won, because, you know, the speculation is, obviously, you know, media are, are going to be all over this. I mean, if, if whoever wins Vaximilian, the media is going to be asking for interviews and everything. And, you know, being that we're media members ourselves, I'm sure, you know, our work wants to interview us first because obviously they're after the story. But we promised, hey, the second interview will be uh, us. Are you, are you able to make that promise? Oh, man. I kind of want to be anonymous, though, so I'm going to try hard to give no one an interview, but maybe uh, <laughs> I'll promise, like, an anonymous statement from for you guys um, if hopefully no one's uh, putting two to two together, but I think that's safe enough. <laughs> well, that's a speculation. It's uh, going to be – I mean, you're not going to be anonymous. I mean, you're, you're out there. Your name's out there. You're going to be on uh, billboards. I'm assuming you'll make an appearance on the next – Mike DeWine press conference show. I mean, you know, it's going to be hard. Now, I would imagine that I'll wear a Spider-Man to... mask. <laughs> What's that? I said I'll wear a Spider-Man mask and uh, right, just uh, go be on the press conference. <laughs> yeah, it's I'm, usually I'm like the lottery one hundred and one. Yeah, like, you want to try to keep it so no one knows you have money, so you don't become a victim of of immediate wealth, but yeah, and probably very, very difficult with this kind of lottery. Yeah. And I would imagine that you don't have to say yes to every interview request. I, I would imagine that, you know, probably the assumption would be you would do the Mike DeWine press conference. I mean, I, I don't think Mike DeWine is going to yell at you if you don't do other press conferences, but yeah, it's going to be interesting. And the other scary thing before we get started is they've drawn the name. 
So somebody out there knows who won. I mean, they're verifying, make sure they got the vaccine and everything. I wonder how many people in the state know who won. Hmm. No, that's a, that's a scary, oh, scary thought, but kind of an interesting thought. Just kind of like, ooh. I mean, I can't believe that many people know. I mean, I, I can't believe like everybody at the state house knows. But obviously, somebody drew the name. Somebody's doing the verification. I, I bet there's some, at least a couple people out there that know who won or not. Yeah, well, and in any case, we're going to find out. Um, we'll find out who the winner is, what, tomorrow? Is that the, um, yeah, what I'm hearing yeah. right? Yep, Wednesday night, 729. Now, I'm not a lottery player, but it's wherever you see the lottery drawing. I, I, I think here in Columbus, it might be ABC, but I'm not sure. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, it, it could be the highest rated lottery drawing ever. I mean, I can't. Uh, I hope they would actually get some, some one of the hosts from uh, from the lottery programs. Uh, we have several, you know, fo- folks who do the host and they do a wonderful job. And I think that's what they need to do. Um, uh, you know, so um, uh, we did a wonderful story about um, for my publication. We did a wonderful story about Alyssa Henry for Cash Explosion. Um, so I think, um, um, you know, think, you know, get someone like that with like some pizzazz in there and excitement, you know, but, um, um, that that would be my, my, my advice. (laughs) Well, and the odd thing is, I, I mean, unless I'm misunderstanding, you know, they have a minute segment. I mean, this isn't like a show. This is like, you know, I think it's between. And again, I don't play the lottery. I don't watch the show. I mean, I remember used to seeing it a long time ago, but I mean, I, I think it's right between Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy. I mean, it's like a, a minute, you know? Um, so I don't know if there's going to be that much hoopla for this Vaximillion. I think they're just going to say, and the Vaximillion winner is whoever it is, you know? Yeah. I'm, I mean, I think they could have made it a bigger deal. Like, you know, maybe like I mean- if... You know, think about uh, if, if the president asked for some network time to make a speech. I mean, maybe the one should have done that eight, have like a little ten minute well, you know, show there. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna go in, uh, if the point of this is to get people interested in the in the uh, uh, to get vaccinated and and, and entered, um, you know, I would have milked this out more into a TV event. You know, yeah, like a five week drawing. Um, Build up some excitement, um, and then that way you get more entries. Um, you know, I mean, I think another issue though, is some people are entering without getting vaccinated. Is that what I'm hearing correctly, Chris? Um, they can. There's no. I I mean, you know, it, it, the website's there. You can put your name in, but you know what they're saying is, hey, if you know you're not vaccinated, they'll find you out. So. I think that's why smartly they made the drawing Monday because there's a definite possibility that whoever they draw may have not got vaccinated or may not have qualified. So it's a whole lot better than drawing a name Wednesday and then saying, oops, he wasn't vaccinated. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a good point. Um, so technically, you probably have even better chance in – 2.7 million. I mean, I'm guessing, I don't know if there's a lot of people that did that, but I'm sure there's somebody 
who tried to enter in that wasn't vaccinated. So maybe you've got a 2.5 million chance of winning. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, your chances could go down further. I mean, we don't know how many of those people are who plot enter. I guess that's the biggest thing is how many eligible entries are already there. Um, and that could improve your chances even more. I mean, this is the kind of fun lottery, I guess, in a way that I feel like it's a, it's a better deal because if you have, you know, you know, m- more ineligible entries, then, um, you know, your chances might even improve even more. So... Yeah, Tyler had a tweet yesterday, and honestly, I was off, so I didn't get a chance to see the DeWine press conference. But Tyler had a tweet where he did a, a chart based on the number of people that DeWine said, um, you know, signed up. Um, it turned out to be like 53% of the of the people who got vaccinated. And again, what you just said is true, too. Maybe somebody signed up that wasn't vaccinated. But it was interesting. We were talking about this last week when they said you had to sign up. It wasn't just being vaccinated. And I told you, I think I was guessing 70% of the people might sign up. Because, again, you run out of time. You may not hear if you're not paying attention to the news or podcasts or whatever. That's that's surprising. So, in essence, 53% of the people who were eligible didn't even sign up for the lottery. Hmm. I mean, yeah, I mean, some people have different reasons. Like, maybe a million's, like, penny, a penny, a penny to them. I don't know. Um, they think, oh, you know, it could go to someone who needs it. So, um... Well, I think there's a legitimate number of people who... You know, they didn't know. I'm not saying they don't care about the news. Maybe they just didn't see that part of the news. Um, you know, maybe they weren't paying attention, which I think is true for a lot of people out there today. Um, and, you know, some people just get busy. I mean, you're right. The whole process to sign up for it was, what, one or two minutes? I mean, it really wasn't that big of a deal. But you know how people are. You know, people forget to do stuff and leave stuff for the last minute. Uh, they probably assumed they could sign up up until 729, and, you know, they were too late. Yeah, well, you know, that's a lot of speculation. I mean, we don't know why anyone applies or doesn't apply, so we'll, but, oh, well, kind of, uh, that's why I'm I stay people. I'm not a college uh, student, but, you know, I have a 14-year-old that is, um, you know, a teen that qualifies for the possibility of a free college scholarship. Um, Brandon, you you got a much better chance. Uh, 104,000 people signed up. So you, you've got one in 104,000 chance if you're a teen. Yeah, that's a, that, that's a, you know, it's um, a blessing there for teens is like, hey, this is a way to get some good full ride to college and, uh, yeah. um, you know, don't have to worry about um, um, uh, getting in, into debt too badly. I would say, though, you know, hey, make sure to get a good degree now, you know, and then you'll be rolling in the money. <laughs> make a good relevant. Stay away from journalism, I guess. Well, and in essence, you got five chances. And I, I'm assuming, I mean, if more people sign up between now and the end of the contest, it'll be more than 104,000. But in essence, you got almost like a five in 104,000 chance. I mean, again, not r- realistic, but. It's a chance, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And, and just say, Brandon, I mean, I, I'm assuming, you, you, did your wife sign for the drawing too? Yeah, I think she did, yeah. 
So in essence, we have, you know, my wife signed up for it too. So we've got a 10 in 2.7 million chance. Brand, the odds are getting lower. We got we got shot, man. Yeah, uh, it's exciting. Um, hopefully, uh, one of us will one of us will 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 be will will uh, will be um, still doing this podcast, and the other will retire uh, happily. <laughs> um, I've got bills. I've got a house to pay off. I've got cars to pay off. I I can't retire. I mean, it's going to make. It's going to put me in a better uh, shot with savings and paying off bills and uh, taking care of family. But I, <laughs> I'm not retiring from anything, unfortunately. So uh, <laughs> that's kind of where I'm at. And also, too, you've got – I mean, you're going to get about 650000 after taxes, too, which, yeah, it's a lot of money. I'm not complaining about the money, but, I mean, you've got – I mean, there's, there's a lot going on with everybody's life. I mean, 650000 isn't – yeah, you know, screw you. I'm never working again, money, unfortunately. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. Yeah, yeah just, yeah. So, I, I know Vaccine fun. Uh, we're excited for it. Uh, there's a lot of stuff happening uh, there. I don't know. I, I was telling Tyler, I said, look, you know, our job isn't to cheerlead. Our job isn't to, um, you know, we're not. I, the jury's still out. I mean, DeWine used his press conference yesterday to say, hey, look, it's like $15 million in free publicity. More people are getting a shot. And, yeah, I agree. Uh, our paper, the Columbus Dispatch, had editorial over the weekend saying, hey, this looks like this could be a winner for Governor DeWine. And it appears good. Now, the jury's still out. I mean, is people going to continue to sign up in the next five weeks? Who knows? I will say one thing for – us in journalism and us in this podcast, it, it has given us a lot more stuff to talk about. If we didn't have it, there'd be less stuff to talk about here. Um, you know, the final thing before we close, um, you know, Jenna Powell, we were talking yesterday. She had a bill uh, that she would say, hey, we're, we're going to stop this lottery. The money needs to go another way. Uh, DeWine said, and we can imagine this, he was going to veto a bill once it got presented. As far as I know, it hasn't been presented as of late yesterday. Um, he says, hey, I respectfully disagree with her. And um, he's making the argument why they need to have a lottery. So that's the latest on that. Um, it was interesting. Tyler said that Jenna was actually on CNN, which was kind of surprising. Usually Republicans that go, don't go on CNN. And she was trying to make her case for why um, her bill would be a, a good idea. So interesting stuff from that as well yesterday. Brandon? Yeah, I mean, this is very, it seems like a very unorthodox way to get people to get vaccinated. Um, but it's almost like, you know, there's really nothing really left for the governor. I mean, there's like, I mean, all the ideas to get people to sign up or to get vaccinated. Um, you know, it's just like they've, the, the state legislature, legislature, legislators took away the sticks He's now got only the carrot um, to offer. I mean, technically, I would have. I mean, and it's kind of like, look, you know, they, this could have been. It could have the five million could have been somehow bumped up and increased to where you could give everyone sort of a little a financial incentive to get vaccinated. Like, a, hey, get vaccinated, get a thousand dollar rebate or whatever i don't know what whatever is legally allowed in terms of those kinds of things but even then would people still go out and 
get vaccinated with a guaranteed of like a little bit of extra spending cash um, or stimulus. <laughs> but, yeah. um, you know, I mean, like, you know, whereas maybe, but this way or the promise of like, oh, won't you get, you, you would get vaccinated just for the chance to win a million dollars. It sounds like a bigger incentive to, uh, and maybe it just plays, it's a, it's a psychology game. And, you know, I know people don't like being manipulated, but I mean, that's half the time. That's like half the battle with, with politics and uh, with, with legislation. It's, it's, it's trying to influence people without them realizing they're being influenced um, to do the right thing. Um it's because, you know, we could be very straightforward and people will still think they're being manipulated. And, you know, um, you know, I made a joke the other day, like, you know, with, with all this talk, we have not actually had to really had discussions about this on our podcast, Chris, but, you know, like, you know, lately there's been reports about, Hey, there are UFOs. There like really are some sort of yeah. kind of craft spacecraft or whatever, but, Imagine like years and over the years, you know, in the over in the crate in nineties or aughts or whatever, or even hell before then, where you have conspiracy theorists saying aliens are real, UFOs are real, and we're all like government's like, nope, nope, nope. Um and now it's like eh, the government's like, Oh hey, yeah, UFOs are real. I mean they could we're not saying that aliens are real, but you know, we, we don't know. We actually don't know, but now people are just like, ah, oh, it's the military industrial complex. It's the, uh, it's just like, you know, cause if the government, it's almost being contrarian to whatever the government says, just saying like, you know, right. I have to, I, I can't trust anything that comes out of their mouth. And to some degree, it's always good to be, have a healthy amount of skepticism, but it's also like, if you're just going to be a contrarian to everything, then you know, that's just, that's just not, it's just bonk, as bonkers as, as accepting everything the government says. So I don't know. And you just need to put a little more thought and be a little more, um, um, uh, we all need to be a little more critical in our thinking, but, um, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a game. It's a dance just like in life. Yeah. And look, you, you know, government wants to rightfully praise because, you know, a lot of times we stick to our guns politically um, if we're Republican, Democrat, and it's easy for politicians to take the company in line. And he's appraised, and, you know, this is my politics. I like it when you buck your political party. And in essence, you know, DeWine did that, you know, throughout this whole pandemic. So I appreciate what he does then there, too. But understand, it is a political game. Um, since the Inquirer had a pretty good article um, yesterday talking about, and we have a link in our podcast notes, uh, talking about how, um, you know, they perceive that DeWine's national stature is rising. Um, they talked to a couple of her governors, they talked to a political analyst who said, hey, it's a gimmick, but it's a good gimmick. So, um, you know, there is a political nature of it. I mean, DeWine's a politician like everybody else is. And in, in a way, it's a it's a great way of almost controlling the conversation. You know, if you just say the same stuff over and over again in a press conference, now the media you can investigate every stuff and try to figure stuff out. Um, man, you have a lottery that catches fire among the public. Now we're not talking much about anything else. I mean, you know, it's like this podcast we're spending about you know fifteen minutes talking about the lottery and and this other stuff that might be a little bit more critical. We're not talking about as much. So. 
you know, it is a political move, and it'll be interesting to see if it pays off. Yeah. Um, you know, if I think it's at this rate, if you can get as many people vaccinated in Ohio, um, at least in DeWine's eyes, that will be a success. Um, you know, but um, yeah, it's something to it's it's like that's his pr- preference. That's that's kind of his goal is to get encourage as many people to get vaccinated, um, barring any medical complications or concerns, which are fair concerns. There's a lot of people who can't get vaccinated. And that's the thing, though. It's like really people don't realize there are some people who would love to get vaccinated but can't because um, because of some other medical complication. So now people who are able to get vaccinated, who can help us get these COVID numbers down, which they, and I think numbers have come out recently saying they are going down, which is great, but you know, um, just kind of do it for someone. If you meet someone and you, and they say, love, I'd love to get the vaccine, but I just like had a medical complication, a stroke or, or whatnot, you know, or, you know, I'm allergic, have allergic reaction, you know, do your part to get vaccinated. So, we can come back this virus and go get us back to a, a normalcy as possible. Yep. And I think even after we get back to that normalcy and hopefully it's soon, I mean, it, I don't think it's going to be tomorrow, but you know, the more people get vaccinated, it won't be years away. Um, I, we're going to learn lessons from this. You know, I mean, I, I always appreciate what Amy Acton, the uh, former Ohio health director said there, uh, you know, we're going to learn how we operate, you know, and live and, future lives and Brandon I don't know maybe the takeaway you know we're talking about how man you do a lot or you kind of control the conversation I mean you and I've worked at in small towns where we covered city governments now we're talking about state politics um maybe small towns could do that have a lottery and that way it controls the conversation you know you and I worked at a small town that probably could have used a lottery to kind of <laughs> get the <laughs> attention oh man down. Again, tell, reminding me of this that how this bar in Austin Town, a suburb of Youngstown, Ohio, where um, they did the Queen of Hearts challenge and the biggest local lottery of its time, and and which uh, is so much money was put into that pot. I, I probably I had a oh man, I can't remember exactly where it was in the millions, I think, but um, yeah, it was like when I got to the, those drawings, like it was a public gathering. It was like yeah. Um, yeah, um, and when they do that, you got less time to cover people crabbing about government, right? I mean, you're you're covering this, people care, you know. Yeah, well, winner collected 1.8 million dollars, <laughs> it was at least north of that or around that figure, so higher than what you were win at this lottery. But, but yeah, maybe if you if if it was all said and done again, you would have like more local, local, um local lotteries like this. So I give every county, every give every county, uh, you know, there's 88 counties and $88 million might be a lot, but you know, you could always just, um, you know, you could do like, you could like sort of find ways to increase the pot too. Like, um, you know, maybe vaccination. I mean, everybody's getting money from the government and Ohio chose to use part of theirs on a lottery. I mean, I think other counties could do that if they wanted to. And I'm surprised as a moment nobody has done that. Maybe that's a statement of what counties think about this lottery. Yeah. It, it just be like, 
yeah, I mean, like if you made if every county did like a million dollar drawing, I mean, your chances improve more. You might even say, hey, we will th- throw in if you you can pay throw in uh, some more money to increase the pot, you get an extra extra entry too, um, and that increases it further, attracts more people. Um, yeah, that would. There well, are plenty of ideas. <laughs> well, well, just think about this. When I, when I first met Brandon, we worked for a uh, we worked at a small publication in Galleon, Ohio, and Galleon's issue at the time was, you know, they had state government. They had some people that were part of state government. They got mad at the current state government, and they had like an opposition group. So, you know, they would do things to say, "Hey, the current administration isn't good," and everything. Man, could you imagine? I'm not just picking a galleon. I mean, this issue is in lots of other you know, cities across um, the state or villages where, you know, people are mad at the mayor for whatever reason. Man, if you took some money, and I know that local governments don't get that money, even if you had a $1,000 lottery, man, could you imagine? That would dominate the conversation in galleon. I mean, people wouldn't be worried about some of the other stuff that people worry about. I think it'd be fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it would be. I think um, um, now, you, your local paper wouldn't be writing about opposition groups. I mean, you know, th- there would be stories all over the place about a local lottery. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would get more attention and more, um, you know, more discussions and a lot more awareness, I think, actually. All right, Brandon, book Mayor Leary we'll, on for tomorrow. We'll see what he thinks about that. So it'll be good. All right. Oh, geez. Uh, giving you a hard time. Well, but one place that's not going to give you a hard time. Let me give you some uh, friendly advice, and we got to uh, get to our other stories before the end of the show. Um, you know, Chase Bank, hey, it may not be for everybody. I, I'm not going to sit there here and tell you that, you know, Chase Bank works for everybody. But, man, Banking's been a pain in the butt most of my life, but once it got to Chase Bank, it works for me. And hey, if it works for me, I think it's going to work for you. Uh, go to our link on our podcast provider. You check out the podcast each week, or maybe you check out on our website. Um, go there, uh, check out uh, Chase Bank, click the link, um, sign up for direct deposit, and you'll get 225 bucks placed in your account. It's that easy. Uh, so check out Chase Bank. Uh, hey, it's a way that you can earn money from listening to this podcast. What, what, what a way of doing that. So it should be great. Uh, check out Chase Bank. We hope it works for you as well. All right. Uh, one more note about COVID, then we go on to some other topics. You know, it was interesting. When the vaccines first came out, we did a lot of stories. Uh, there was people giving away donuts um, here in Ohio. Um, the Reds and Indians were giving away um discounts on tickets and um, you show your vaccination card it happens i know when governor dewine announces a uh, vaccine lottery he's like come on businesses keep on doing it um i don't know i mean i haven't read every story in the world but i haven't seen that many of discounts until yesterday um it was kind of interesting uh united airlines um is having a vaccination sweepstakes so um, i'm guessing if you can prove you're vaccinated uh, you can enter in, and if you win, you get a year of free flights. Um, I think that's kind of interesting. It's kind of like Vaximilian Lottery. I mean, I'm sure people are going to get excited about it. You know, everybody wants a year of free flights. Uh, one person's going to be happy. Um, it was interesting. Jim Renici, uh, who is um, 
playing a run against a governor's one, the primary says, Hey, the problem with the lottery is you got five people really happy, like in the vaccine million, and you got 11 million people that aren't happy. Um, Brandon, do you think this is the same thing? I mean, Hey, it's exciting that someone's going to win a year of free flights, but one person gets happy and every other United airlines uh, person, that doesn't help. I mean, May, would United Airlines been better just saying, hey, we're going to give you 10% off to everybody who gets a vaccine? Uh, kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, what's 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 interesting about this way of approaching it is, you know, the they, um, the vaccine passport, they are, or the idea of a vaccine passport has been very controversial because it seems like it's come off punitive. Like, you know, oh, do you have your vaccine card? Oh, you don't. Too bad. You, you, we denied access to whatever name your your activity or whatever. And um, but this case, it's more like, hey, if you vaccinated, we'll reward you. You know, we're not going to punish you. We'll reward you. And I think this is like um, more of an incentive, a better, maybe a better way in this current climate um, to um, to get more people interested in vaccinations and um, um, whatnot. But, you know, we'll have to see how it how it pans out. Yeah, and let me... Uh, I was rereading the story again. They're actually giving five winners um, instead of one. Um, one other thing, and Brandon, I was thinking about this. Man, if you got a year of free flights, when you fly every day, you know what I mean? It would be the greatest year of free flights ever. Uh, they're limiting you to 26 trips. I'm assuming it's 26 round trips, but that's a lot. That's a fly every two weeks. So interesting stuff. I, I like to see what ends up happening there. Um, I, I think you have to be a, a like a member. Um, I, I'm not sure, but yeah, I, I like to see more companies doing it. I, I'm actually surprised, Brandon. Um, because look, you know, United does that to get stories all over the place. I'm surprised more businesses aren't offering that, even if it's not a great deal. Man, if you get a press release out saying, "Hey, we'll give you stuff with a vaccination," everyone's going to write about you. I'm surprised more uh, companies aren't doing that. Yeah, well, this is actually a very—it's a marketing gimmick here. I mean, oh, really, man. what the what they want to do is they want to get more people signed up for the loyalty program. That's the real goal there. Um, so the, it, it benefits United overall. Um, I'm curious if the loyalty program cost anything, it doesn't seem to be the case. So, but man, I was on their just now on their sign up or enrollment page and it was, it, you know, it's, it's very, it's very, um, you know, you gotta like put in a lot of information, like, you know, when, with an account set up. A lot of very good security here, you know, put in like five. They're asking you for like five security questions, Chris. Um, so um, that's just kind of it's kind of funny. But um, hey, you know, well, I mean, what better way of doing it? And I might I mean, I'm sure United wants people to get vaccinated. I'm not saying United doesn't care about people. I'm, I'm sure they do. But at the same time, I mean, it, it, it's marketing poise. I mean. When, when I was in marketing, we tried to take advantage of stuff and said, hey, you know, can we make this offer? Uh, it's hot right now. People are talking about it. And I know right now with the limited number of journalists now than there were 10 years ago, man, if you're in PR and your job is to get you in the news, it's tough. You can't just 
write some BS press release and assume the media is going to write about it. I mean, you got to have something clever. You got to sit there and say, hey, CEO, you know, every time someone offers a discount, they're in the news. What discount can we offer? I mean, you've got to do some of that stuff. So you're right. It is a marketing play. I mean, let's say it for what it is. So, Yeah. All right. Well, Brandon, let's move on because I want to make sure we got two other stories we want to get in before our time's up today. Um, you know, they're starting to talk about this. Um, President Biden has a ambitious uh, transportation plan. I mean, he's talking about his American recovery plan. Uh, you know, stimulus he's giving to um, each American. Um, we talk about the money he's giving to local governments, um, and you know, just to you know, reinvest in the people. I mean, it's, again, it's one plan, and it's the plan that they're going with now. I think the other thing that he's trying to do is help encourage transportation. Um, you know, there is an Amtrak plan. The Amtrak has responded to monies that are available uh, for each state to say, hey, let's make a, a more broader, you know, railway system. And for... Uh, you know, regular people to ride. Um, I know in the Crestline area, and that was about where uh, Brandon and I worked, uh, Crestline used to have a uh, a track going through it. And it used to be a stop. Now, I kind of question that. Um, Brandon, I, I'm not sure. I don't think you covered that much in Crestline. Were you in Crestline that much? Uh, not not super much, no. no. I mean, Crestline is right off Route 30. I mean, it's not you know, out in the boonies or anything, but Crestline's a small town and, you know, they're talking about, um, railway service, uh, you know, that would link, um, you know, Cleveland and Toledo to Columbus and Cincinnati. And one of the stops would be Crestline. I'm not sure if that is big enough for a stop, but I guess it was existing stop beforehand. Uh, so that's why there's some interest in that. Um, Here's the one question I've got, Brandon, that I don't know if has been answered yet. Do you know how much the fares would cost on something like this? I have no idea. I would say that, you know, if we just do it, and um, you know, and uh, how much I would say, you know, let's see, it could probably coast. Well, here's like according to a quick Google search here, you know, coast to coast trip costs roughly. Two hundred twenty-five dollars, um, you know, okay. currently. But um, you know, same. Tr- you know, it depends on what kind of fare you want. So, um, like if you want something with like, sli- you know, be- a bed or something, you know, it could cost a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I think ultimately, though, I'm a big public transport transportation guy. Like, I just it, it's so frustrating for someone who grew up in Columbus. Um, who was just really, really, who really felt like, man, our public transportation op- options, especially for like um, p- kids growing up with who don't have maybe an access to a vehicle or a car, or, you know, we don't have, um, you know, the funds, um, you know, it's, it's really, I really, you really appreciate having some sort of a, a, a access to a vehicle or real or access to public transit to get from one place to another. I mean, it, it, it does like, you know, I know this is Amtrak's more of a long distance option between Columbus and Cleveland or Cincinnati, but, you know, even here locally in Columbus, I mean, 
the bus system is just it's 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 underserved. It's 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 not where it needs to be. It's not serving right. our community, and it also re- really limits you know where people can go to shop to work. Um, you know, and it's it's um, you know access transportation to the suburbs um, is very limited. And it, I think in some ways that really kind of hampers relationships in a sense. Like you have to, you know, if you want to unite our community, the best way to do it is making sure people have some way to get to, um, you know, to the, from the city to the suburbs. Um, well, I'm trying yeah. to figure, I'm, I'm hearing everything you're saying. And I agree with it. I'm trying to figure out how practically to make it work because if we had somebody from the Columbus bus system on, they're probably going to be like, Hey, Brandon, we want to do that. But we need people to ride the bus. Um, and I know that, you know, from COVID, I mean, you know, you still see the buses riding. I mean, I saw the bus riding yesterday. I know that for a long time they made the fares free, you know, as a response with COVID to help serve the community. Um, so I, the bus system is going to be, you know, really low money-wise. And so I, I'm guessing to solve that problem in Columbus you know, hey, more people ride the bus. They got more money to make upgrades, have more tri- more routes, more trips. Everything will be great there. And that's going to take time. I, I think as COVID eases in the future, I think more people are going to return to riding, and that'll be good. I, I think the problem, like for a while when I was working downtown, I would take the bus downtown, which helped. I saved in parking, which was great. Uh, the issue I had was it took – what could have been a 15-minute drive downtown took like about an hour after I would drive the bus stop, wait for a bus, get on the bus, uh, you know, take the bus downtown and go to all the stops I had to go to downtown. It just takes a while. It's a, it's a time investment. I mean, that's the thing, though. It's like, oh, people aren't riding the bus. But you bring up the very good point, a good experience that it just takes a while to get from. Yeah. You know, not even a suburb. Fine. It's just it's getting from you know the, the northeast side of Columbus down to downtown. It's like it. You know, we need it. We need more buses on the route. Um, if you can't have the city infrastructure to create bus only lanes, but that, you know, obviously this doesn't really. Oops. Um, but you know, um, um, the um. It, you know, in the grand scheme of things, the thing about this Amtrak deal is, though, you know, right now there's also discussions of putting a hyperloop here in Col- uh, to connect Columbus to Chicago and Pittsburgh. Or at least there's discussions or studies yeah. going on about that. So I think really it just seems like we don't really have like a good strategic or organized plan of like what's going to get put in here in, Col- in Colum- for Columbus. It's it's almost like we have all these different different parties moving um um, in their own directions. And it seems like, you know, could we end up with both an Amtrak service and a Hyperloop service? Um, and how would those two work out between each other? It, that These are questions I have as when I've seen the story come up often on and off again. Well, one of my favorite radio shows, um, Common Man T-Bone, they have a funny um, segment where they talk about the Hyperloop. And one of us was like, I can't imagine. Um, because they were saying the Hyperloop could go 300 miles per hour. And, yeah, th- there is a technology and a science built-in where your face doesn't melt off when you're going 300 miles per hour. But he was joking about how that would feel like if you're 
riding through their mouth probably. They're like, it wouldn't be peaceful. <laughs> it would be kind of scary, but, you know, I don't know. They're funny guys. But, you know, back to the impact thing. What, well, I'm confused by Brandon, and I, I think it's a good plan. I'm, I'm not critical from the political side. I'm just more thinking practically how do we make it work. Um, so you and I live in Columbus. Let's say Amtrak gets passed. We have Amtrak track, and I say, Brandon, let's uh, take it to Cincinnati and go to the Cincinnati Reds game. You're like, sure, I'm there. So we take it down to Cincinnati. I, I'm assuming then, like, we'll just have to use the the bus system or whatever public system to get from the Amtrak station Cincinnati to the ball game, right? Yeah, I mean, that last mile kind of issue, you know, let's say you take, um, yeah, you just need it. It's really whatever. Cincy, I think, has some sort of other more public transit options than um, maybe Columbus does, but, you know, um, like a trolley service or whatnot. So, but yeah, just getting from, you know, yeah, getting from uh, from Point Columbus to Cincinnati or Columbus to Cleveland and then taking whatever options from that station to get to wherever you need to go. Um, you know, that's sort of where, what, particularly in Columbus's case, that's what we, I think we're lacking a little bit. I mean, um, you know, it, it's, uh, it, it's, it, I think we just need to have leaders here who are actually committed to saying we're going to build it and hope they come and really not just hope they come market it, like really focus on getting times, wait times down, um, get, uh, particularly in terms of busing um, really, or invest in, in finally getting some light rail. I mean, like particularly in Columbus's case, one of the largest cities without really a good public transportation. So I always uh, want Columbus to have a subway, but obviously, you know, money-wise, I'm sure that won't happen. But I, I think it'd be great. Uh, get the subway to Columbus. I think that'd be fantastic. Um, yeah, but no, it would be interesting. And I think, obviously, your time to drive to the Amtrak station and wait for a train, that might be longer. But, you know, they're saying 79 miles per hour, and obviously it's a direct route. I mean, you know, from Columbus to um, Cleveland, everything that might cut down the time. I mean, you're going to get there quicker that way if you than if you drive up there. And you know, if you're going to a game or something downtown, you also save on parking. So you know, there's some advantages there that are definitely built in. Yeah, I think it, you know, there's some opportunities out there, and I uh, hopefully some of them will materialize. Um, and hopefully it all comes together to create a really good system. Yeah, and let's make it happen soon. I mean, let's don't pass this and then say, hey, 15 years from now, I'll be all set up. I mean, I, we're getting older, Brandon. Let, let's get this done quick. What do you think? What was that? Sorry, you broke up on the last part, Chris. We're getting older. We got to get this done quick. I, I, I don't have, you know, 15, 25 years to wait for this to happen, you know? <laughs> Fortunately, it's one of those things that will like not happen in our lifetime. I feel like so. <laughs> Definitely, uh, or if it does, we'll be like maybe old men who old, old very old geezers. It's like back in my day, we just had the automobile. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So <laughs> or the smart car. <laughs> yeah, twenty five years from now, um, when Brandon Craig and I are retired, we'll we'll start doing um podcasts on the Amtrak. It'll be fantastic. So look forward to it. Yeah, it'll be great. So. All right, uh, but you know, speaking of time, you know, hey, everything takes time. Um, you know, some good advice for you. I mean, you know, 
Amtrak, you're going to wait 15 years if it gets approved <laughs> for it to get built and everything out. But, you know, and if you go shopping for furniture, that takes time. I mean, it's easy to spend the afternoon looking. And this isn't a, a diss on um, uh, actually hometown furniture. It just happens. That, that's what the process is like. But you can shop online. Um, if you click the link on our podcast provider or our website, man, click on Ashley.com. They're going to give you a savings right away. You can use that to shop online and get your furniture delivered to you. Man, it would be great. You could be there. You could be sitting at home watching a game, watching some show on streaming. You, you pick your furniture, you click on it, and Ashley would deliver it to you. It, it sounds like a great deal. Um, yeah, check out Ashley on our website or the podcast provider page, and you'll get savings right away that you can use on your next um, online trip to Ashley Home Source. So check it out. It's a new way of shopping for furniture, but it saves time. And to me, hey, your time's money, Brandon. I mean, you might say, hey, I like going to the store. Well, what, you know, if you spend six hours at the store, you know, that six hours less that you could be doing, you know, yard work. Um, your wife is telling me on Facebook how much you love yard work, Brandon. You won't have time to do that anymore. Wouldn't that be tough? <laughs> oh, boy. Um, yeah, another story for another day. We'll have to... <laughs> We'll have to touch on it another day. It was kind My of... wife's trying to like trying to trying to get me to be a gardener for everyone. Right. <laughs> uh, I'm not a landscaper, Chris. You don't want me as a landscaper. And Brand spending all day at, at the furniture store. He's like, I can't be that gardener. So free Brandon up. That's why online shopping is a way of going. So it should be good. Uh let's close today with this. Um kind of a uh I I'm surprised people can do this. Um, kind of interesting. Um, supposedly later today, Lebanon, Ohio. Yeah, yeah. Lebanon's not just a country. Uh, there's a town in the Cincinnati area uh, called Lebanon. They are going to vo- vote to ban abortion Tuesday. It's a vote to slay to come up in their council. They're saying, hey, we're going to be a sanctuary city for the unborn. Uh, it's going to go as far as to say, hey, if, if you have an abortion in Lebanon, um, you know, you're going to get in trouble. You can get a year in jail and everything. You know, Brandon, here's what upsets me. I'm sure there are places in Lebanon where you can get an abortion. But Lebanon's a small town. There's a bunch of other places in Ohio where you can get an abortion in other places. This, to me, is very much a political move. Um, it's kind of like what Jenna Powell tried to do over the weekend when she said, hey, I'm going to stop the lottery. Um, Tyler Buchanan wrote the story, even said it's a story. Hey, it's a political move. You know, at this time, you are you don't have time to pass this bill. You know what I mean? You don't have time to override a, a governor veto. So sometimes are we just doing things that – yeah, it's going to get a story. I mean, you know, in the media, we have to write about this. Uh, we need to write about Jenna Powell uh, doing her thing. But how much does it really practically matter? And here's the other beef I have, okay? My faith and my background, I'm anti-abortion, okay? But at the same time as being anti-abortion, I can't just sit there and say, all right, abortion's outlawed. 
man, Brandon, if you take something to get abortion, I'm going to find you. I'm going to throw you in jail. And, and you sinner, why are you doing abortion? We need to provide help for unplanned pregnancies. We need to provide help for people in need. I'm reading for this story, Brandon. I'm seeing nothing about, okay, well, Lebanon is going to help moms in the city and encourage more adoption. And Lebanon's going to accept these funds to help uh, these poor ladies in the city find the help they need when they're in tough things. There's nothing. There's, hey, we're going to outlaw abortion. If you, if you abort somebody, we're going to throw you in jail. And that's exactly the issue I have with the anti-abortion movement. Hey, I oppose abortion. It's fine. We're allowed to oppose abortion. But at the same time, if you oppose abortion, you've got to help people out that are in need. Because if not, you're just, yeah. And and if you oppose abortion, you can be like, well, I'm pro-life. I'm supporting life. Well, if you're really supporting life, support the lives of people that are in this situation. And not just by giving them a tract or giving them a fly and say, oh, abortion's evil. How are you going to support them? How are you going to stick your neck out to help a problem that's just not going away? So instead of, I mean, I would embrace a city like Lebanon to say, hey, we don't like abortion. We're going to do something about it. But instead of doing this big, um, you know, political-based you know, move where it's all like, hey, look at us. We're going to outlaw abortion. Why does it then say, we talk about the federal money that's coming in. I bet you they could take federal money to say, hey, we're going to offer incentives for people not to get abortion. We're going to help them. We're going to help provide for them. We're going to give them the money that, that these ladies probably don't think they have. That's why they're considering abortion. And, and Brandon, it just frustrates the heck out of me because if you're going to oppose abortion, which I do, you've got to take the extra step. And I don't think love on taking the extra step at all, which really ticks me off. Yeah, um, I mean, it's this is the problem with the culture wars of this country. Um, and I think the last, you know, culture wars, it's evolved a little bit more on the LGBTQ front with as now lost state legislatures across the country are banning trans kids from playing in um, um, playing in sports, um, you know, unless, you know, um, but, you know, as far as abortion, abortion has been pretty consistent for years now. Um um, it's whether it's at the national or local or even state level, um, you know, it's the, it's a, it's a great, it's a great, it's usually, I read an article the other day that's described it as a win-win for Republicans and, and a lot of these, particularly in the midterm elections or whatnot, you know, it's like it rank, gets the base, the conservative base excited it, it, and really a lot of what's funny is so many people, so many people out there on the other opposite uh, who are who say look i'm pro-choice i'm not pro-abortion and that's 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 really what makes and that's a really key thing i'll get back to that real quick but um you know they really don't think roe will get overturned um roe versus wade i'm referring to the case that allowed abortion now plus he now the fast forward to 91 when uh, <clears throat> uh, um casey versus um planned parenthood i think that was the the follow-up abortion case that did has open the door to where we are today in the abortion debate and important abortion uh, issue of abortion, where it's allowing states to impose uh, restrictions. And that's why you're seeing a lot of these uh, heartbeat bills and um, bans on, on abortion at a certain number of weeks. Some, at some point critics have pointed out um, this is at points of when women don't realize they're pregnant. 
Um, and so this is a more essentially a ban on abortion, essentially. But to get to to but the biggest crux of this whole thing, though, is that a lot of these politicians love to ex- on both sides of the aisle like to excite uh, like to exploit this issue and really say, look, you should vote for me. I'm pro-life, um, you know, culture war, culture war, culture war. We're fighting against the evil leftists who want to create a, a society where babies can get mur- unborn babies can get murdered. And um, look, I think that's, that's, that's that kind of rhetoric really fired up during the Trump administration. Um, and that it's very hard for pro-choice people to just come out and say, you know, you know, look, I, I, I'm not in favor of abortion personally, but I just think that there are situations where women should have make that make that decision for their own based on their own conscience and their own moral soul or whatever. But, um, um, you know, but, you know, it's funny because there's all this talk of Democrats getting hurt by when they were chanting defund the police. But for years, I mean, the conservatives have been trying to defund Planned Parenthood. And, you know, Planned Parenthood does more than just abortions and more than just mammograms. It also offers, you know, access to contraception, tries to educate teens on um, on, um, on, t- on pregnancies and tries to be a resource for them. It's almost like, you know, you want to go defund Planned Parenthood, fine. But it's almost like you're going to you're just you're not that's not going to help the problem. That's not going to re- keep um, the number of cases of abortions down. People just think like. Oh, we're gonna, we're gonna, we'll, we'll get rid of abortion. We're gonna stop, and women are just gonna accept it and move on. Um, I think it's like, um, if there's a demand, there's gonna be someone's gonna supply that need. It's just kind of you're forcing it into the darkness and into into becoming a more of an underground option kind of issue. But really, I'm with you though. Is that you know, I'm more. I talk. I always try to talk about the abortion debate in in context of child like um what are we where's that child gonna go how good is our foster and adoption care system um those are those are things that need to be addressed um but yeah as far as lebanon ohio's thing it's just pandering it's just like you know i think yeah well, let me get to the kicker because we i didn't make sure we say this because we're missing part of the story lebanon does not have any abortion clinics and I I don't think you can do abortions at hospitals. I mean, I think you gotta go to a clinic. So I mean, unless Lebanon's afraid that we're doing back alley abortions in you know in cities, which you know I well, I and that's the we are. that's the thing. I mean, some hospitals do offer abortion services. It's just that Planned Parenthood markets it to a degree, or you know, lets women know, hey, this is a resource. I mean, when, like, look in Ireland, Catholic Ireland finally, for 30 years, had a ban on abortion. And it all cultivated a lot of women just getting on a plane and going to England or or some other European country. But now, after they lifted those restrictions to some degree, like, uh, the clinics over there had to be, had to be, had some issues where, like, you know, um, like, um, trying not to let pro-lifers over there kind of, hijack the system trying to like find out where the clinics are located. Like there's like a hotline number, um, you know, for women who wanted to, you know, weigh their options. But for me, it's like, I'm always like, you know, our policy should be more about cutting the head off the snake kind of issue. And just really trying to focus more on prevention 
really trying to have a, a, a good abstinent, a good safe sex education program that's talks about the ABCs of, of, of that, which is, you know, abstinence, uh, babies, <laughs> the cost and cost uh, of them and uh, contraception um, and also consent. It's consent's got to be in that conversation, too, I think. And then the, the, the last thing is, of course, sexually transmitted disease as a risk um, just to encourage, you know, um, healthy sexual behaviors among us as humans. Um, you know, it's it's, of, of course, great if people can commit to the A, but if not, you know, I, um, you know, they at least have tools to keep unwanted pregnancies, you know, down. And, um, you know, here's the thing. I made this point the other day on social media, Chris. It's just like, you know, as a final thought for me, it's just like, you know, conservatives, I was surprised to learn this. Conservatives do not like eminent domain where government can acquire prop, a person's private property for public use. Um, that person, of course, is compensated, though. Uh, at fair market rate or whatever, you know, like the government says, Hey, we're taking, we're buying your property. You have no choice. But, um, but think about that private property rights are more respected than this, the, the illusion or the right to, of a woman's right to Liberty. And so, you know, if we, if we could kind of find a way to respect a woman's right to Liberty, whether to her own body or to her own medical decisions, and still find a way to respect an unborn child's right to life. If we could focus more and keep it, keep the conversation focused on political rights or these philosophical rights that we've, we've been, that have guided us um, since the Enlightenment era, whether John Locke, who came up with those rights, natural uh, rights to life, liberty, and property, Thomas Jefferson kind of endowed them in the Declaration of Independence, right, life, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. If we could find a way to balance it when, you know, those rights, what happens when a person's right to life contradicts a person's right to liberty? What happens? Which right takes more precedent? And it's sort of we've talked about it in over the years throughout our history around the bush there. Like, um, you know, I remember uh, I think it was Patrick Henry, a founding father who said, give me liberty or give me death. Um, I, I think um, he does. He probably be more on the on the anti mask front than <laughs> by that yeah. logic. I mean, that's the thing. The funny thing is so many probably pro-lifers were anti-masked too, which is hilarious. And then and vice versa for pro-choicers. So it's about yeah. balance. For me, it's about balance. How can we balance this rather than trying to be tribal about it and, and try to dominate one side over the other? And that's why and I'm talking to people out there that are Christians out there because I know, and you know, I voted this way for a long time. You sit there and say, okay, I'm going to vote one way because um, it gets abortion. One party, you know, it's against abortion. So I guess I got to vote that way. Let's put all that aside. If you're a Christian, you're a Christian. You're not a Republican. You're not a Democrat. You're a Christian. That's how you identify as. And I think today we get in this tribal thing and you you can't spread your faith if you're tribal. You know what I mean? And, you know, and, and Brand's right. We're all getting tribal. And, you know, especially those of you out there who claim to be Christians, don't be tribal. I mean, yeah, you can vote one way or other. You're allowed to vote. You should go vote. But, you know, you're def you should be defined as I'm a Christian, not I'm a Republican or I'm Democrat. And I would say, and Brand, I see what you're saying about you know, safe sex practices and, and, you know, just 
maybe some absence programs and other stuff like that. Um, I guess my question when it comes to abortion, and you and I have talked privately about this before, it's just the whole thought of no matter how bad your situation is, like if, if you know, my parents were considering abortion, you know, and I could talk to them and say, hey, I'd like to live, you know, I don't want to die, so please don't have the abortion. I'm sure you would feel the same way if, if your parents were considering that before you were born. But the thought is, is one, we have to support you know, safe sex, abstinence, whatever it is to get people to think smartly about what they do to um, prevent unwanted pregnancies. I mean, I think that's something everybody could agree on. But secondly, when a unwanted pregnancy happens, if you're against abortion, you better be in support of helping people out. And I'm not just saying, you know, supporting the government doing that. Be prepared to sacrifice your own end. If you go to a church, if you're going to a church that's anti-abortion, go up to the pastor or the priest or, you know, whoever's leading that church and say, what practically can we do? You know, not just, you know, have a politician in who claims to be anti-abortion. Just, just how do you support? How do you give money? How do you start an adoption program in your in your church to help bridge the gap? I mean, that's what we're not doing. And I mean, if you're a Christian, don't say you're a Christian because you're voting Republican. <laughs> say you're a Christian because you're willing to step up and do something about it. So, I, I mean, that's where I'm at. I, I get passionate because, yeah, we like politics here in the show. We talk to state politics. I'll, I'll talk about that every day. But when I see people who claim to be Christian on Facebook just yelling about abortion because, oh, we're trying to help the babies. Well, you're not if you're not practically trying to do something about it. Lebanon, the city council, let me call you guys out. Unless you sit there and say, we're going to donate some money to help these parents or these uh, these women going for unwanted pregnancies, your words mean crap. You know, it, it doesn't mean anything what you're doing tonight. How are you really helping people out? If you really care about people, if you really care about the unborn, if you really help care about these women, don't just create crazy rules that are going to put people in jail. How are you going to support the women of Lebanon that are going for unwanted pregnancies? How does this help? It doesn't. It's crap. So, Very much with you there. I mean, like, we just, you know, I think it's uh, it's just about making sure if you're going to build a bridge, you know, people, it's almost like people saying, we need a bridge. We want to build a bridge for these children to, for, to, these, to life. Well, you better make sure that it's a bridge that's going somewhere, not nowhere. And, you know, if anything, we need to fix our um, foster and adoption care system. It needs, it needs total reform there. I I think I have, I've, I've seen so many, it's a very underreported story. I think it's been reported, but it's not getting enough, enough of the media attention that it deserves where kids are aging out of the system, not really with a good support system, not maybe with a good connection or with any really good relationship, sadly. Um, we just need to really rethink the bo- outside the box if, and think about what can we do to make sure these kids um, have have um, are able to have the opportunity to develop relationships um, and develop uh, familial connections. And um, it's tough. I, I, I don't ju- I don't envy anyone having this job, but, um, um, you know, it's just like I, I that's why I'm I, it's, if anything for me, I'm more about. You know, I'm more pro mercy. I'm more like I want to make sure that we are 
doing everything we can to make sure that we're not throwing someone out of the out of the boiling water into the fire pit kind of situation. It's um, but yeah, prevention is is going to be important. Um, and you know, and um, trying to rather than trying to use Planned Parenthood as this poster child. But here's you know, it's that's just annoying there too. But the last thing here is you know, right now, politician. What people need to realize is politicians are using this issue, have been using this issue for political gain over the years. Um, and it's like we've it's it's almost like um, with, you know, as devices of an issue as slavery was. And it, well, back then, the slave and the free states were arguing over the number of free versus slave states. Today, now we're arguing over the number of conservative justices and liberal justices on the Supreme Court. And that's really that's really where the partisan battle has been lately. Um, and that's but it's causing we're not really realizing the unintended consequences of that. Um, where the Supreme Court is becoming this more um, way for folks in Congress not to be able to make decision, make be the ones to cast a decision on what where they we should go on this issue. They're dr- letting the Supreme Court become almost like this unofficial pathway to a constitutional amendment. It's like an unofficial pathway to a constitutional amendment, um, and where we have nine unelected people deciding these decisions. Um, and then at the same time too, just it, the these all these t- different laws throughout the states um, that are being pushed forward. Yeah, we think this is great for our co- for the cause, but you're also creating. You might you're, you're it's like if anything short of like granting an unborn person uh, personhood rights in the constitution, very uh, constitutional amendment. What you're doing though is really giving the government a lot of leeway to say, Hey, we have a say in a person's reproductive rights. We have a say in, in, you know, whether an unborn child can live or die. And you're like, wait, what? I mean, we could get to a point in this, in this country where the government might have more incentive to say, Oh, we're going to do China's one child policy. We have the right to do it. We have the constitutional um, cases, you know, based off um, this court case, this court case. Um, So I think people, if you're going to, if you're going to go, um, and uh, uh, you know, f- ban abortion. Do it. Do it the straightforward way, not this roundabout, shadowy kind of way. That's just cloak and dagger. It's ridiculous. But um, I, I, that's my that's my thoughts on that. Step up, because you know, the conservative party, like with Republicans, are going to say, "Hey, keep government out of this. You know, we want less government." Well, okay, then churches step up. Then, if you don't want that as much government, then. What are you going to do to help the, the poor and the lost? Step up, you know? I mean, that's where it comes down to. So, And, you know, let me close with this. If you listen to the conversation for the past 20 minutes, a great conversation. Hopefully people listen to this part. You know, Brandon and I don't agree on abortion. We don't. We're on the opposite sides of the, the table, which is fine. We don't have to agree on stuff. But the thing I always appreciate about Brandon is we found common ground. And I would hope that in your discussions, be on Facebook or in city council or um, with state legislatures or federal legislatures or even the Supreme Court, find common ground with people you don't agree with. Because if you find common ground, one, hey, Brent and I can end this conversation without hating each other. But secondly, I think Brent and I found some ideas that could work in a governmental setting. Now we've got ways that we can work together. And right now we don't have that. 
in our Facebook conversations, our conversations around the water cooler at work, and in governments. That's why nothing's getting done. We have to find some common ground. So, Brandon, I appreciate it. I know we don't agree 100% on the issue, but, hey, I'm glad we were able to find common ground. Hopefully others can follow suit, too. That's the thing about politics. Yeah, it's always framed as a dichotomy of this or that, but it's really the nuance. We just yeah. got to, like, figure out we got to like figure out um, what's really the crux of the issue, not get emotional necessarily, but really just kind of like recognizing a lot of the implications of what if happens if we go left, what happens if we go right, and maybe we can find some way a better dire- a better direction of going forward. But um, yeah, it's always good conversations on these kinds of topics. Definitely. Well, hey, a little extra long show. It had a little bit of a late start today, but thank you, everyone, for taking part of it. Uh, let me close, um, kind of preview the rest of the week here. Um, Craig is traveling, so he will be out Wednesday and Thursday, so you will hear me and Brandon go off on issues. Um, our, our normal shows Wednesday and Thursday, and then Friday, uh, Craig has taped some pop culture content. I think we're going to spread it out a little bit over the next couple of days. So you'll probably hear some pop culture for Craig. Uh, I know I taped a show with Joe yesterday where we kind of got silly on some uh, pop culture um, issues of the day. Um, uh, lots of lots of fun stuff there. You'll have to listen to it. And um, we'll probably spread out a little bit more of uh, Craig's pop culture. I'll probably have a day of uh, Paul's uh, spiritual content. I say all that to say we are taking next Monday off. So Monday we'll either have a little bit of uh, Craig's pop culture, or maybe we'll do a best of of a show that you've seen in the past. We'll be back the following Tuesday. So just so you know what's happening with the show. Hey, we got to take Memorial Day off. Should be a good day. I know I'm planning on seeing some family. Brandon, you're going to see some family on Monday? Yeah, we might be doing some barbecuing. There you so, go. Yeah. Yeah, so enjoy the day. But again, if you're, you know, if you say, I still want to hear something in the morning before I do my barbecuing, we will have some content out there for you to take part in. Uh, we just won't be here the same day with a show. So, Brandon, <laughs> thanks for the conversation. I really appreciate it. Hopefully, you enjoy the rest of your day. Um, it's going to be a busy day. I'm going back to work. I know we got a lot of stuff going on. So, uh, have a great day, everybody. Um, for Brandon, this is Chris. Thanks for checking out the Highland. You all have a great day. Um, bye-bye. Hi, guys. Welcome back. And after just finishing The Stand by Stephen King, which took uh, a couple weeks to finish, uh, was able to, in just a couple days, plow through the next book for the review today, and that is Mallory, a.k.a. Bird Box 2. Now, if you did not read Bird Box or watch the movie and you don't want spoilers, um, thank you for watching or listening, but I'd encourage you to leave because it's sequel. Uh, It's going to be hard to not spoil uh, Bird Box once I start talking about Mallory. And later on in the video, I'll give you a warning, but I'll be talking through some spoilers uh, regarding Mallory. Uh, And so that way, uh, if you have already read it and want to interact a little bit more about it, uh, we can do that uh, down in the comments. So, Mallory by Josh Mallerman, the sequel to the uh, smash hit Bird Box, which became a Netflix movie with Sandra Bullock. Now, again, if you didn't read the Bird Box or watch the movie, 
this is probably your time to tuck away because once I start talking, you're going to know how Bird Box ends. So, Bird Box ends with Mallory and two children who, for the majority of Bird Box, are simply known as boy and girl until the very end when they arrive at the School for the Blind where she gives them the names Olympia and Tom. So, the house that she was staying in uh, during the majority of Bird Box obviously gets overrun by a creature, uh, thanks to Gary, and everybody in the house uh, dies. Uh, Gary runs off to who knows where, and Mallory is the only survivor along with the two children, Olympia's daughter, whom she adopts, and then her own child, Tom. And they stay there at that house for four years, after which time they go to the School for the Blind. They get in a boat and go down the river on this journey to the School for the Blind where uh, when the children were born, they had radio contact with someone there, inviting them to come because they've made it a safe place. And so after raising the kids for four years and teaching them how to survive in a world where you can't look or see, Mallory gets them in the boat and they sail down, uh, face some um, hardships along the way, but finally make their way to the School for the Blind where they find um, uh, shelter and a safe community to live with. That brings us to the very start of Mallory, which begins with a bang because it starts with the School for the Blind already being under attack. Uh, the School for the Blind, uh, a creature has gotten in and now the, the same chaos that happened and the house that Mallory stayed has now taken over the School for the Blind. Now, this brings up an interesting scenario because the initial intrigue with the School for the Blind was if you're blind, you can't see the creatures and they can't drive you to suicidal madness. So, what's happening now? Uh, is there a new level to the threat that the creatures pose? Won't get into that right now. So, Mallory finds the children in the midst of the chaos, and after two years of living at the School for the Blind, they head out, uh, and they end up in a, an abandoned summer camp, and they spend the next 10 years at the summer camp. And while at the summer camp, uh, a man happens to wander through, and He's knocking on doors, and he claims to be with the census. Now, obviously, there's no longer a government. Things are uh, have gone awry. But he is trying to get a sense of how many survivors are out there, where they are, uh, how they're getting along. So Mallory has the choice of, do I trust him or do I not? And she doesn't uh, send him away, but he does leave some of the information that he's been compiling. And... Mallory's son Tom is getting very restless with living in this blindfolded world and he's desperately trying to find ways to survive and thrive in this new world. And so he's very intrigued by the idea of survivors. Not only survivors, but also according to the information that the census man drops off, there are communities where people are living amongst creatures and they're not going mad. Uh, they're, they're not committing suicide. They're not lashing out in violence toward others. Uh, some communities claim to have captured a creature. And so there's all these rumors that you can survive 
with the creatures and not have to live in darkness with a blindfold. So this really captures Tom's heart and he is now bent on wanting to get to these communities. Well, in the midst of the papers, as they read through the list of survivors, there are two names on there. I won't say who they are right now. Uh, two names that Mallory recognizes and she desperately wants to connect with. And so they begin a trek to head out to find these other two survivors to see if they're still alive. After all these years, it's now been 17 years since the creatures first came and everything went haywire. So there's no guarantee that these two people are still uh, alive, but she needs to find out. And so they gather their stuff and the three of them head out on another journey. So that's where I'm going to pause it in terms of spoiler level one, uh, because I don't want to get much more beyond that and give too much away. In short, I liked it. I liked it a lot. I think it was a lot of fun. Um, was it as good as Bird Box? No, because I think Bird Box was so new and so just this new adventure that there was a little bit more excitement and some uncertainty, but this wasn't far behind. Uh, this was a very satisfying follow-up, and I feel like it... Um, okay, I'll just... I feel like it brings the story to a close. Now, will I be upset if there's a third? No, because uh, I give this one four stars. Uh, wasn't perfect. Uh, I'll get into a couple of the issues uh, more specifically in the spoiler section, but I think one thing for me, and it may have just been me, um, it, it, you know, again, it may have just been me. It may have nothing to do with the book itself. Others might feel differently. Um, there two issues actually. One issue was there is a pseudo love interest, a new love interest for Mallory, someone that she's kind of drawn to, attracted to. That felt a little bit rushed. Um, it didn't feel authentic because there, there wasn't enough to go on uh, for there to be any kind of connection with her and this other person. But the Second issue, I think the main issue for me, was the ending. Uh, I, I like the ending, but I feel like it happened very fast. Uh, I remember at one point reading and getting close to the end of the book and thinking, how in the world is all of this going to wrap up in know, 50 pages, maybe? Um, and, and there's kind of a, a lot. It's a very chaotic ending, I will say that. And so it feels kind of like you're building up and then boom, and it's just done. So I feel like there was, it, for me, I would have enjoyed if it just draw that out a little bit more, give me time to really absorb what's happening. Uh, but the pace that it went, it did also kind of add into just the, the chaos of what was happening uh, at the conclusion of the book. So. Again, it may have just been me. It may have been an intentional choice. Um, I wasn't always sure if I knew what exactly was happening because uh, there weren't a lot of details being given on the ending. But that being said, uh, the, the positives far outweigh the negatives. Uh, there are some nice twists. As I mentioned before, the fact that the people at the School for the Blind were also being affected by the creatures. There's this new level of, is it not just sight? Is there something else? 
that is putting people at risk. So that elevates it. Uh, the monster, the monsters, the creatures have multiplied, and so there's more of them in the world. Uh, there are people out there, uh, and obviously with any kind of post-apocalyptic scenario, the question becomes, are they good, are they bad? Or, in Maller's perspective, are they safe or unsafe? And for her, there's really no good people, bad people, it's just safe people, unsafe people. But one thing I really like, I liked about Bird Box, and I really like about Mallory is... We still only ever know as much about the creatures as the characters, specifically Mallory. And so, yeah, so we, we don't really get a whole lot. And I know some of the complaints about the book is we still don't know anything about the creatures. I kind of like that because the characters don't. The characters don't know where these creatures came from. The characters don't know why looking at the creatures drives you to madness. Uh, there, there's so many unanswered questions for the characters that I enjoyed being in that, uh, in those shoes with them of not knowing what was happening and why it was happening. So for me, that was a strength. Uh, that wasn't a weakness. Uh, the relationship with Mallory and her, the children, uh, is very pins and needles at times. Uh, obviously they, she is still hardcore survival, live by the fold, uh, always have your blindfold. She's very militant about that. The kids are just sick of it already. They're 16. Um, they're tired of living this way. It's all they've ever known. And they hear that there's people thriving out there and they want to be a part of that. And so that dynamic uh, becomes very, uh, really is a thread throughout the entire book of just this tension with Mallory and uh, the children. So really enjoyed it. If you like Bird Box, I really think you're going to enjoy this. Uh, there, I've seen some reviews. Some people hated it. Um, I, I really liked it. It was a very satisfying follow-up to Bird Box. Uh, I wouldn't mind if there's a third. I don't, I don't know if there will be. Um, wouldn't mind. Uh, really enjoyed that one as well. So, uh, two great books uh, by Josh Mallerman. Uh, if you haven't read either one, really encourage you to do so. Now. In five seconds, I'm going to go into some spoilers. So if you don't want spoilers, now would be your time to uh, click away to another video. Thanks for watching so far, but this is more geared towards those who have either read the book or have no desire to read it and just want to find out what all happens. So five, four, three, two, one, spoilers, last warning, here we go. So. Mallory's son Tom is very focused on, he wants to live as normal of a life as possible. And so he has become very inventive and creative in trying to find ways to see the creatures without going insane so they could stop living with blindfolds on all the time. Um, Olympia, the adopted daughter of Mallory, is, uh, she's not as obsessed as Tom is with just getting out into the world. Uh, she is more, uh, what's the right word? She's more understanding of Mallory and we find out at the end of the book, I warned you spoilers, we find out, uh, we get these little hints throughout the story that Olympia is living with secrets. Her big secret is she is born immune to the creatures. Again, we don't know why. It might be because as she was being born, that's when her mother saw a creature 
and was it connected to that? We don't know, and the reality is the characters don't know. So again, I, I think that's a huge strength of this book, and Bird Box and Mallory, is we don't know any more than the characters do, and I kind of enjoyed that. So she's able to see the creatures all along, and so I think that's part of why she can be more sympathetic towards Mallory because she doesn't live with the same angst that her brother does. Now, her brother, in reading the papers from the census worker, they discover that there's a community called Indian River where they claim to have one in captivity. And so when they leave the, the summer camp to go find those two people that Mallory wanted to find, those two people are Mallory's mom and dad. Uh, their names appear on the list of survivors. Now, it's Sam and Mary Walsh. Uh, it could be anybody, but more than likely her parents. She's got to find out. And so, also in these papers, they find out that there is what's called the blind train. Uh, someone has restored a train, made it uh, creature-proof, so you can't look, all the windows are blocked off, and they're taking rides up and down Michigan. So, they decide to make their way to the blind train and take the blind train up to try to find Mallory's parents. So they get to the train and again we have this tension of who can they trust, who can they not trust. And this is where Mallory meets Dean, who's the guy who restored the train and operates the train. Uh, and there's kind of a, a bit of a romantic connection which kind of comes out of nowhere. Um, yeah, they're talking for like 30 seconds, and she's developing feelings for him, which just seemed a little weird, uh, especially, I mean, she's not even looking at him to say, like, well, he's really cute or something. Um, this is just like 30 seconds of a conversation, so it it's felt a little weird, uh, and really not necessary to the overall plot. But Tom happens to hear, uh, I'm sorry, Olympia happens to hear word that... There's a creature on board the train. Uh, this train takes uh, runs back and forth. It delivers things for people, and it will deliver dead bodies in coffins uh, back to family members uh, for burial. And the whisper is that in one of those coffins is a creature. And so, of course, this raises the tension uh, quite a bit. So there's a big fight with... Mallory and Tom. She slaps him. He storms off. She regrets it, goes off to try to find him on the train. Olympia's trying to get people to you know, hide because there's a creature on board the train. So in the midst of this chaos, Tom runs into an older gentleman that he and Olympia met earlier uh, while they're on the train and Mallory's off talking to Dean. And this gentleman happens to, he calls himself Henry, but he's actually Gary, the man responsible for everybody dying in the house that Mallory lived in. And it turns out he's kind of been stalking Mallory all this time. So Gary takes Tom and rushes him off the train, and, and they go to Indian River. Also, Mallory gets kidnapped off the train. So next thing you know, uh, everybody is at Indian River, and it turns out that Tom has been working on uh, glasses made of a two-way mirror. And the thought is that if the creatures look at the two-way mirror glasses and see themselves, 
somehow that might alter the effect that they have on people who see them. Um, you'll have to read more about the explanation behind that. Um, again, because we don't know why uh, looking at the creatures drives you mad, you know, sure, this might work. Uh, and in the end, uh, Tom is testing out his own experiment. It works. He's able to see a creature without going mad. Um, Mallory gets there uh, just as this is happening. Um, she discovers that her father is there at Indian River. They are reunited. Um, her mother has already passed away. So all of that, they end up at Indian River, and there's some fanatical people at Indian River, but by and large, it's a relatively safe community. Uh, her mother is buried there, and the community begins to mass-produce these glasses that you can wear and not be driven to madness when you see the creatures. And so at this point, uh, they're at Indian River. Uh, everyone's getting these glasses. Uh, Mallory finally sees a creature through the glasses. Uh, she doesn't go mad. Uh, so it looks like people can begin to live normal lives with the creatures because the creatures just kind of stand there and study people. They don't harm them, they don't attack, they just kind of stand there. So again, a lot of unanswered questions in terms of the creatures. If you're okay with that, uh, you'll, I think you'll enjoy Mallory. Uh, if you're really hoping for an explanation on the creatures, you're not going to get it here. Personally, I loved it. I enjoyed every bit of it. Uh, if you read it, uh, I'd love to interact with you uh, in the comments. If you're on YouTube, let me know what you think. But for me, Mallory by Josh Mallerman, four stars. Uh, encourage you, give it a try. Start with Bird Box, though. Make sure you've read Bird Box. If you're still watching and you haven't read Bird Box, I've just ruined everything. Oops, I warned you, though. Anyway, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you haven't already, uh, please like the video, subscribe to the channel, and we'll catch you back here next time for the next video. Have a great day. Hi, I'm Jennifer Mooney. Welcome to what is our new Hope Interrupted podcast based on the work from our book, Hope Interrupted that I co-authored with my good friend, Byron McCauley. Hey, Jennifer. You know, I'm looking forward to this podcast as much as I was look, looking forward to writing this book with you. We're hoping to interview some uh, high-impact folks as well as have a little fun. We're going to cover stories of hope. To learn more about our podcast and our book, please visit www.hopeinterrupted.com.